0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Going the Distance podcast presented by ImmaculateSports.com. Twitter's max Sports.
1: Instagram is a max sports.
0: TikTok, YouTube, Immaculate Sports. It's episode 148, and uh, it's been a pretty exciting week of sports. MLB draft. We got our favorite picks from that. Some other MLB stuff, too, but not the usual craziness with the All-Star break uh and of course we're going to talk about the home run derby
1: yeah yeah uh, my opener starts with the home run derby so i guess uh we'll get right into that and then, even though we got out in the first round i thought what Atley did last night was one of the coolest things that we've seen in the home run derby being a switch hitter had the first part of his round as a left-handed hitter and then wh- when it got the bonus time switched around went from the right side saw 10 pitches hit eight of them out Uh, And then Louis Bob ended up kicking him out. But what Adley did was pretty cool to me. That's the favorite thing that I saw over this past week.
0: Well, I want to talk about some NBA Summer League because I know not everyone watches it because it's not as important as the other stuff that's going on. But there's a couple players I want to talk about. And uh, I just just want everyone to keep in mind. That I understand. I don't care who wins and loses these games. I don't care who has a good game, bad game. There's just certain things we look for in players, and uh, these are some of the most popular ones right now. So let's get right into it. Victor Wembanyama, the number one pick. I feel like he he still wants to be like a KD type player, more perimeter. I really think he should play down low a little more. Uh, you know, we've never seen a guy with these skills at seven foot four. Uh, that first game was rough, but. You know, so far, I'm okay with it. Uh, I still think he's going to be a beast. Brandon Miller, on the other hand, the number two pick, still learning how to be an NBA defender. Lots of fouls so far, but he looks like an absolute killer on offense so far. The size of Paul George, some flashes of Paul Pierce, I've noticed. I hope he puts it all together. And Scoot Henderson, the last one of this year's draft, I really think he's going to be a superstar. It's like a middle linebacker running an NBA offense. Unfortunately, got hurt, so we haven't been able to see a whole lot, but he looks NBA ready. And the big thing for me in summer league, I think, is who's ready to make that sophomore jump? A couple guys really look like they have it. Jabari Smith of the Rockets looking like he could be that number one guy in Houston because those guys just look different in summer league. When you're dropping multiple 30-point games, him and Keegan Murray with the big performances so far, but it goes both ways. Jaden Ivey of the Pistons. Not taking that step yet. He's looked pretty bad in Vegas. Uh, I'm not very convinced. He's ready to be that dude in Detroit next to Cade Cunningham. And then the the last one here, we just talked about him the other day, Kyle. James Booknight. It's his third year, and he still looks extremely uncomfortable in summer league. So it, uh, that's not a guy I would I would bet on. That's just my little notables of summer league talk. It was some of the best I saw. And I wanted to throw it in here, too. Of
1: oh, course. Yeah, yeah I, uh, you won't be seeing summer league talked about by me uh something about it I can't watch it you know I'll, I'll check Wemby's stats see how he did maybe yeah. a few of the worst guys but man I can't I can't pay attention like that's that that's why I'm I love here. basketball that way <laughs> I'm
0: but, here to uh, give you the absolute you know things you should know nothing else though I'm not gonna tell you about Kenny Lofton's performance last night
1: <laughs> mm. let's go ahead and get to where's your head at though but well, we're going to hop them back to our positional rankings. We've done all the different positions except for the pitchers now at this point. And obviously, you know, we're not going to just going to do top 10 pitchers, be done with it then and there. We're doing our top 10 relievers today. Uh, I don't know if we'll break up left-handed and right-handed starting pitchers. Probably not uh, for next week, but probably top 10 starters yeah. next week, maybe even top 15 since there's such a big pool of those guys. But <laughs> excuse me. But, uh, yeah, top 10 relievers, Skyler you know, mentions. I did not have any because there's too many guys to shout out.
0: Exactly. I, I feel like, uh, you know, there's probably three really good relievers on every team. Uh, unless, you know, of course, it's a team that's not doing very well. But, uh, unfortunately, Jordan Romano just missed my list. I think he should be. Similar with Araldis Chapman. They've been up there, but it, it's just it's just a very crowded list of guys. Yeah.
1: Do you want to start off with
0: number 10? All right. Number 10. I do have Yannir Cano. Uh, we talked about it a little bit before the show, but he does make my list. The ground ball expertise is is ridiculous. He's he's one of the best this year and still sitting at a one 4 ERA. Not many hits given up, and he's thrown a lot of innings, too, 42. So I think that's a, a good enough sample size to at least have him on a top 10 list for this season.
1: Yeah. Yeah. and I think, uh, something that you're going to find off our list as well, too, at yeah. least for mine is that it, a lot of this stuff is based off of this year because the year to year within relievers is very, something that varies quite a bit. So, uh, you know, you see somebody won this year, they might not be a top 10 reliever next year. Maybe they yeah. get figured out, something happens, whatever it is. Uh, so if you're hoping for some, Craig Kimbrell or some Kenny yeah. Jansen on here, you're not going to see him most likely, unless, you know, Skyler has him at some point in their list. But, uh, with that being said, I'm getting my list started with Johan Duran. Uh, and my list might be a little bit different than Skyler's just because of the way that I look at guys. And I, for my relievers, I want to see strikeouts and I want to see low walks. And uh, Johan Duran plays pretty average in both those categories, but his babbitt stuff like that. H- hard contact is super, super low. What's been different about Duran this year? Last year, his four-seam and his curveball were his best two pitches by quite a bit—negative nine and negative eight run value. But his splitter, his most known pitch, at 101, was even run value. It wasn't, you know, a plus pitch. It was just enticing to look at because of it being 101 miles per hour. This year, all three of his pitches have been good. He's been dominant for the Twins. Uh it doesn't have a ton of saves, but that's just you know an opportunity stat. So we're not really gonna look at that too much. Uh but eleven point eight Ks per night is something I'm looking at. Average fastball velocity at one on one point nine. So uh yeah, he throws hard. Uh XFIP below three is really good. Era just above two is really good as well, too. So Johan Duran gets my list started on a number nine.
0: Yeah, my number nine is gonna be Duran too here in one spot above you, and uh For me with this list, if the stats were really similar, I I went with my own stat, the filth factor, (laughs) and this this guy's absolutely filthy. So he's going to just make it over a guy like, you know, Ryan Presley, who's having a downer year than than usual.
1: Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, my number nine guy is Ryan Presley. And I know when you look at the stats as far as, Ks per nine, walks per nine. He doesn't have the most enticing stuff. I mean, his walks are really good, but you know he's not posting like a 12 K per nine or anything like that. But he's been so consistently good uh, the entire time that he's been in the big leagues. Even back when he was on the Twins before he got traded to the Astros, he's so consistent and he's in in one of the uh, you know best teams in baseball that we've seen over the past five to six years. And he's been so dominant for them. X fit below three, still ERA below. At two and a half right now, actually, his slider is one of the best pitches in baseball. Presley's a stud, and I definitely think he needs to be on my list just because the consistency factor with him as well, too.
0: On to number eight. Number eight. I do have Kenley Jansen on my list. You know, speaking of the the filth factor, this guy's still absolutely filthy at 35. Uh, He does have a three ERA, a lot higher compared to the guys next to him on this list. But I, I can always trust Kenley Jansen to fool a hitter. I, I just flipped on, you know, A's Red Sox the other day. And uh, I know it's the A's, but still, uh, he's still got it. He doesn't throw as hard as he did back in the day with the Dodgers. But, uh, you know, very intimidating still.
1: Mm-hmm. Number eight for me is going to be where I slot a Chapman. And he has had an absolute resurgence uh, this year based off of what he was doing back in New York the past few years where he was having good good years and, and good numbers, but that New York crowd was just not treating him the <clears throat> treating him the way that he probably should have been treated for the stats that he was putting up. This year, he's back to striking out, just about sixteen guys per nine. His walk numbers are high, but when you have a K right over fifteen, you're gonna be okay with them walking a little bit because you know that they're not gonna be, you know, giving up a ton of contact. This year, Babbitt just around three hundred pretty average for that. So we're not seeing anything crazy there. Uh X-Fip and uh, expected area are both really, really good. He's outperforming his expected stats. So we should expect maybe a little bit of regression in the second mm-hmm. half from a to Chapman, but he's been so good in the first half for the Royals. And now with the, uh, with the Rangers that it's expected for this. Uh, and again, he's getting back to the point where all of his pitches are plus last year. His four steamer and his slider were both pitches that had positive run value. This year they've both been really good. So his sinker coming out to be his best pitch at a negative five run value. So uh a little Chapman. Okay. Number eight on my list.
0: Nice. Well, Number my seven, seven. is gonna be Emmanuel Clase of Cleveland. Uh, you know, slower start to what he's used to, but he still doesn't allow base runners at all. You know, he's been walking guys a lot less than he was earlier in the season. And again, absolutely filthy. He's getting the job done. Cleveland has been a little better. And you got to thank him for those close games.
1: Yeah. Uh Clause actually did not make my list. He was really close. Again, it's another thing that comes down to, to striking out guys. And when you allow guys to put the ball in, in play, you're allowing them to get a hit, uh, have the opportunity for a hit. When if you strike them out, there's zero chance. And so uh, Clause did not make my list. If his last year, a hundred percent, but this year is just not at that level for me. So number seven, I went with David Bednar, who's been one of the best closers in the league now for a few years in Pittsburgh. And he's the perfect example of a guy who strikes out a good amount of guys and doesn't walk. Anybody walks per nine under two is something that you really want to look at. That's like Presley type numbers. And he's striking out more guys than Presley. He unfortunately is kind of, Getting a bit lucky when you look at his FIP compared to his expected FIP and ERA, expected expected ERA. But he is as good as it comes when it be, comes to being a closer. You look at his baseball savant page, you don't see any blue circles if you're one of those people. You're seeing all red circles there. We know that he is four steamers, one of the best pitches uh, from a closer, negative, one, negative seven run value so far. And his curveball has been solid as well, too. So uh, David Bednar comes in at number seven for me. On number six.
0: Number six, I got Camille Duval from San Francisco. Another ground ball pitcher, but
1: he's got 13 Ks per nine.
0: He's one of the best closers in baseball. Unfortunately, though, gets the sixth spot for me because uh, I saw some things with the other guys we'll get into.
1: Yeah. Sorry, I'm pulling up the stats from this next guy for me. So I have them all on hand. And you might be a little shocked by this guy who I chose but he's having an amazing year. Former A, A.J. Puck is the guy that I went with at the 6th spot. He, again, perfect. He's not walking anybody, something that we did not expect to see at all from A.J. Puck. He's at a 1.24 walks per nine right now. 11.17 Ks per nine is great as well, too. Uh, he's allowing a few homers, which is kind of something that's throwing off his ERA when you look at his expected stats compared to his ERA. It's just normal stats era is higher than what it should be so we should expect to see that to be lower in the second half we continue to see him pitch the way that he has but expected era just below three and his xfip is right at three so aj puck's been amazing for the marlins so far this year uh was hurt a little bit so that's why you know you're not seeing him at the top of the line when you look Mm -hmm. at saves and whatnot uh but aj puck's having a great year in miami i think he deserves to be on this list at some point
0: on to number five Number five, I got Alexis Diaz from Cincinnati. He's got the most innings pitched for a, a back end guy in the Central this year. Second highest WAR amongst all relievers, two ERA, and it's you know the expected and it's FIP. It's very close. He's getting getting the job done, you know. And and I'll leave it there because my my four guy has to do with what I'll say next.
1: Yeah, uh, number five, it might be a little bit shocking but I went with Devin Williams here. He has been amazing as always, but he's not as good as what we've expected him to be this year. When you look at some of the expected stats, I know, you know, peripherals, you look at the ERA, it's below two. He's having a great year there. But when you look at some of the things behind the scenes, maybe it's not adding up that much. He's almost got a walks per nine at five. That's not great, but he is striking out 12 guys per nine innings. His bat is really good, so he's not giving up hard contact. He's not giving up a ton of homers. Uh, Changeup's got a negative seven run value this year, so it's still been you know plus plus. It's better than what it was last year, uh, and it's back on par to kind of what he was in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. You know what's crazy, Skyler? Yeah. In twenty twenty, Devin Williams changeup had a negative thirteen run value. That's a sixty game season. Yeah. I don't think there's any pitch right now that has higher than like or I guess lower than like a negative nine.
0: It's like Pedro changeup level.
1: Yeah, so he has obviously one of the best changeups that we've ever seen in MLB history. Just the walk numbers are a little bit higher than where I want it to be. I think the other four guys are kind of, they've been better than that this year. So uh, yeah, Devin Williams comes in at number five, on a number four.
0: So number four, I have David Bednar from the Pirates. He just doesn't get hit very hard. At all. Uh, a, a fly ball pitcher. And we'll get back into that because that's what happens in the central. He, he rarely gives up extra base hits. It's it's a perfect situation in the central for these guys. The ball doesn't travel as well at most of these parks than at others. So I'm thinking that's why the expecteds are a little higher for these guys is because they're they're getting away with some stuff. But they know their parks. They know they could do it. And Bednar and Diaz have been great at it.
1: Yeah, uh, number four for me, I went with the Diaz brothers. I'm not going to get into Edwin Diaz, but I feel like he should be on this list at some point, even though he's sure. not yeah. you know, playing this year. But Alexis Diaz is the guy who comes in at number four for me. He's currently leading the league in saves, tied with Camilo Doval and Jordan Romano, who, spoiler, both did not make my list. I think there's some other guys that are a bit better than them this year. But uh, Alexis Diaz is a stud. K per nine just below 14. Uh walks per nine is a little bit high, but when you're striking out that many guys, it's okay. Home runs per nine is 0. 0.23. So he's not giving up homers at all. Uh Babip's fine. You know, expected and expected FIP and stuff like that are all, you know, right where you would like to see for a guy who's, you know, leading the league in saves. His yeah. slider is one of the best pitches in baseball, uh, which has a negative. 14 run value. So on, nice. on par with that Devin Williams type change up and uh, yeah, Alexis Diaz coming in at number four on to number three.
0: I do have Devin Williams up here too. Uh, not as many innings this year. Like you said, the walks uh, are kind of concerning, but it's another first half with a sub two ERA and 12 Ks per nine. Absolute filth. We talked about the change up you know, there's not a lot of guys I would I would throw in there over Devin Williams to close out a game for me. He's keeping the three spot.
1: Yeah, let me find my guy. I don't know why I can't find his stats real quick. Uh, Trevor Bauer. It's not Trevor <laughs> Bauer. No. Why can't I find him? Where do you go? Uh, spoiler alert though. It is Jose Alvarado, the guy who I uh, chose here. I'm trying to pull up his stats. I don't know why I can't find him. Uh, Acuna almost just let off the all-star game with the homer, but uh, that would have been got robbed by uh, Adoles Garcia. I can't find his stats right now, so I'll just go over his baseball savant page, which I have up right in front of me. There you go. Uh, Jose Alvarado has been the best he's ever been. Uh, He's not walking, guys. He's striking more guys out than what he usually, or he's actually right on par for that. But the not walking guys is something that's really big. He's doing it primarily off of two pitches. Just the sinker and his cutter are the only two pitches that kind of qualify on, uh, baseball savant as the, you know, primary pitches that he's throwing. Uh, both of them expected batting average are really good. The cutter's just a little bit better, I'd say. Uh, but he's been dominant in the back end of that Phillies bullpen. A 1.38 year race, right? something that's really good. Whip just above one is something that you want to look at as well. Two, uh, yeah, Alvarado, man. This dude's a stud. He's only 28 years old. It feels like he's been in the league forever. Uh, but he comes in at number three for me on a number two. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um, Alvarado doesn't make my list, but he's definitely the number three lefty. So I guess he just gets uh, gets screwed a little bit here with the ordering. Uh, but not my number two is is the best lefty in the league. That's Josh Hader of the Padres. He can walk, guys. It's it's a little high, especially against the Giants. But that's kind of his only negative right now. 13 Ks per nine is elite. Really low hit rate. Babip. That's all I got for you. You got the advanced stats. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, Hader is a very prime example. Oh my gosh, Randy. Rosarena just robbed a home run now. <laughs> uh but uh maybe it wasn't a home run probably a double but Josh Hader is my number 2 guy like you said the the walks are too high when you look at his savant page if you're the blue circle red circle type guy that's a prime example of it everything is you know 95 to 100th percentile except for that walk rate and it's in the 3rd percentile so he's walking a ton of guys but he's also striking out you know, nearly more than anybody else in the big leagues, and that's due to his sinker and slider combo that he's going at this year and throwing a lot more than he's been throwing his change up this year. So uh he's a stud still 13 and a half K per nine. The Hawks at five is crazy. But like you said, when he's getting contact, it's not a lot. You know, the point two seven home runs per nine means he's given up maybe one or two homers in the year and yeah. the bad if it's at 222. So the dude's been a stud. But just the walks is the reason why he's not at number one. And also because the number one dude has been by far the best reliever in baseball this year. Yeah, Say his name together. Who do you got?
0: It's Felix Bautista from the Orioles. The highest war in the league amongst relievers. 18 strikeouts per nine. 18. Probably the best stuff we've seen in a while from reliever. And still a lot of innings. And uh, hasn't shown any sign of weakness yet. Felix Bautista is leading the pack here for the relievers. This is what you want to be showing.
1: Yeah, he is about as nasty as you can be. And, you know, the walk rate isn't crazy great, but that's fine because he's striking out two out of every three batters that he's facing. Uh, His expected ERA, expected FIP, both under two. He's the only dude in the entire league who has an expected FIP under two as far as relievers go. I mean, if you look at run value again, that's something that's, you know, really good tell of how good a pitch really is. You usually see like a slider or a changeup be that main pitch that is, you know, has that really big killer factor for relievers and the fastball, you know, velocity or not is still something that they can use, but his fastball is seam fastball, negative 14 run value and we're at the all-star break splitter. You know, his secondary pitch, negative six run value. So he's just a two-pitch guy. Primarily he's thrown a slider, you know, thirty times this year. So he's gotten off of that more than he has last year because he threw it 122 times. But uh I mean he's striking out eighteen guys per nine, and that's ridiculous to see average fastball velocity over a hundred miles per hour. He's got a two point oh war, if you're one of those warheads, uh highest in the big leagues from a reliever, twenty-three yeah. saves he's throwing a ton of innings. He's going to have like 150 to 200 strikeouts this year, which is crazy to see. And, uh, yeah. So Felix Batista, number one for both me and Skyler. Let's kick it over to the MLB draft that just concluded today. Uh, you know, round one uh, or round one and two, I guess were both on Sunday and then Rounds three through 10 are on Monday and then 11 through 20 today. So we're going to go over, you know, three to five guys from each of us that we both really, really like uh, throughout the entire draft. Who's the first guy that you want to talk about?
0: So the first guy I want to talk about is Noble Meyer, the high school righty going to Miami at 10. I, I think Noble Meyer's probably one of the, the most electric arms other than schemes in this class. I compare him to Luis Castillo. And obviously, you know injuries likely to come with these high school pitchers. You throw hard, but I, I I love it especially because <laughs> with their next pick, Miami took Thomas White, the top lefty in the class at 35. This is my double pick here. Miami going back to back high school pitchers. They're pulling their balls out on the table and saying, "Watch this. We Whoa. can develop anybody. We're gonna have two guys in our rotation in five years." Except Watch for this. hitters, I know they can't right? throw hitters. But hey, sticking to their A little strength.
1: Watson, baby. That's yeah. what I
0: love about the top here.
1: Yeah, Uh, I try to not, you know, take any super high draft pick because, you know, obviously, you know, Paul Skeens, Dylan Cruz already. If you know baseball, those are names you sure, you know, but white Langford dropping to four is probably the best prospect except for Skeens in this entire draft class is absolutely crazy to me because this dude has, you know, possible 40 homework power, 65 grade power, which is absolutely nuts. And usually when you see that 65 grade power, you're going to see a dude who probably has 45 to 50 hit tool. Cause he's so you know, reliant on hitting the home run. Wyatt Langford is not that at all. 60 grade hit means that he's, you know, if things go to plan, he's probably going to hit 300 in the big leagues. And if he's doing that and putting out 45 homers, if Shohei's not in the AL, he's got MVP potential type of stuff. So, uh, being in Texas's lineup too even more scary because you know that with all the guys that they got Duran and Leity and Jung and Corey Seager, Mac, Marcus Semyon, yeah. Jonah Heim, Nathaniel Lau, like they got all these dudes already. You throw him in that lineup in two years from now, Evan Carter's gonna be there as well, too. I I'm I'm scared. Evan all these guys man. fit
0: on the timeline. That's what I am.
1: Yeah, so uh Texas is going to be around for a while. I don't know if they're going to, you know, end up being that that Houston Astros type juggernaut that we see for a long time, but I I would not be shocked with the stuff that they've done. They just need to maybe develop a bit better pitching, but we won't get into that now. Uh what what else is another pick that you like, here's guy.
0: Here's one you might also have too. It's Jake Gayloff, the third baseman for Virginia going to the Dodgers at 60. This is one of the best power hitters all of Division 1 you know, mock to go in the late first round and he's here at 60 for the Dodgers. And, uh, you know, people say you want to draft the guys with the, the hit tool already there rather than the power. But the Dodgers have been, you know, turning these, these old hitters into back into near prime form. So I, I don't doubt they can, they can make this guy a starting hitter.
1: Yeah. The guy I went with, uh, for my, one of my favorite picks, I don't want to say second favorite pick, but the yeah. second pick that I'll talk about, Uh once of the Cardinals in round one, that's Chase Davis from Arizona. Somebody who was born eight days apart from me and is a <laughs> shit more strong than what I am because uh, he hits absolute nukes. You know, the 55 grade power is something that might be on par, maybe a bit higher at 60 is probably what I'd say because he has the ability to kill the ball. Uh, You know, he is one of those dudes that kind of seems like that, that swing to hit home runs where he's very uh, coiled up and hits kind of a long swing. But it's something that if he connects, the ball is going to go. And we know St. Louis has been great at developing hitters over these last five to 10 years, you know, probably even 30 to 40 years if you want to go back at their track record. And this dude's a great athlete already as well, too. So he's got the potential to be a five-tool player. Uh, he's got a swing like Cargo. And when you have the ability to to even be mocked out to a guy like Carlos Gonzalez. I'd love to see another, another dude like that in the big leagues. And then Chase Davis has the ability to do that. Uh, what's the next pick you want to talk about? This is the last pick that I loved other than uh, DJ from Oregon
0: state, of course, to the Dodgers, but uh shortstop, Josh Rivera from Florida going to the Cubs at 81. This guy has been very injury prone and unbalanced at the plate, but I, I see a potential El Mago type guy a super utility because Rivera was such a huge part of this Florida runner up team. If he stays healthy, someone's going to give him a shot. He could play anywhere in the infield and he's got power. I, I just watched a video about uh Javi Baez his first couple of years. And even before he was even well known, he was still hitting 20 bombs and playing great defense anywhere. And I think if Rivera can stay healthy, he'll have a very similar type potential.
1: The first pitcher that I went with on this list is somebody who went 34 to the Minnesota twins in the CBA round. Uh, and that's Charlie Soto. He was actually at the draft uh, on Sunday when he got drafted. He had a couple of interviews with the team uh, broadcast team from LMB network, but that 60 grade fastball, 55 grade slider is something I'm looking at as well as his control, you know, not being at like a 40 or a 45 because he, uh, you know, usually we see these high school guys who are, say, six five, two ten already, just like Soto is, 17 years old, and they can throw fuzz, but they have no way of controlling it. And we sometimes see those dudes fizzle out or, you know, become relievers because they don't have the ability to control, and they don't know how to pitch. They just know that they throw hard, and that's what's gotten guys out in the past. And I think when you look at Soto, his demeanor as well, too, shows that he has the ability to get guys out by being a pitcher. And that's something that I love to see from a dude, uh, especially at this young of an age, knowing how to pitch rather than just being able to gas guys up. So uh, Charlie Soto is a pick that I love, obviously super, super young as well too. Born in 2005, which is just crazy to think about. So uh,
0: getting a deal possibly too, on one of the best arms in the draft. Always good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So he comes in at a, I guess, number three for me, whatever. Uh, do you have any other pick that you want to talk about?
0: I don't. That That's the end of the picks I love. And, of course, there's going to be late-round all-stars that are found. But uh, we just haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> there's a lot of yeah. dudes who just got drafted.
1: I do have two more guys that I do want to talk okay. about. One guy uh, that I just chose because I thought he was a really good pick. And the other dude is the favorite guy that I saw the age draft in this entire ah. draft. So uh, I guess I'll start it off. With Colton Ledbetter, the outfielder from Mississippi State that went to Tampa Bay, and we look at Tampa Bay and the guys that they draft, you know that they have the ability to pick guys out Uh, just because they do it they do it so consistently and they sign guys internationally so consistently consistently that end up being good that you can just look at this guy and tell that he's gonna be a pro level hitter uh because they're gonna find a way to get more power into this guy's swing he's already one of those dudes that has that super high hit tool walked more than he struck out in the sec yeah uh he's a very great contact hitter he's got great bat speed uh and when you look at what the rays do they're going to turn him into a guy who has a shit ton more power. He's not a small dude, 6'2, 205. He's already 21 years old, probably going to start off in high A or so, maybe this year, next year, whenever it is. Uh but if they find a way to get more pop in that guy's bat, you can see him, you know, being a guy who has an all-star level potential. And then the last guy that I want to talk about was taken yesterday by the A's. Uh and, uh, let me pull up his stuff here just so I, I don't mm-hmm. mess anything up. It's going to be Cole Miller, the guy who the A's took at 103, right-handed pitcher from Newberry Park in California. Uh, high schooler committed to UCLA, 6'6", 226, born in 2005. So he is 18 years old. Uh, the fastball, you know, when you look at 6'6", 226, you're like, oh yeah, this kid's throwing 100 consistently, you know, type stuff. It's only at 96. But they say his arm swing's got a lot of work to do. So you can see that he's, you know, not quite there yet as far as his arm goes. But it's something that can be sped up. When you look at today's game and how it's it's treading, there's ways to, you know, get your velocity up. And I think when you get into a big league program, that's exactly what they're gonna do for you. Uh, but the thing is, you know, the fifty grade slider and changeup are already pitches that can play out for him. Uh we don't see a changeup feel for a lot of those guys coming out of high school for the especially those dudes who even if you're throwing 94, 93, 92 in high school, you're gonna get a, a ton of guys out. So you don't even need a mm-hmm. change up at that point. When you look at ninety-six, I mean, fuck man, why even throw the change up at that point? But he he already has good command of it at this point uh, the control t- overall is something that needs to be worked on a little bit. But like we said earlier, he's a work in progress. He's 18 years old, born in 2005. And I think he has the ability, you know, to go Miller and Miller and yeah. rotation. at the point.
0: When you know there's a long rebuild ahead, it's important to get some young arms in there. Cause we don't have many.
1: Yeah, exactly. You got to build the arms. Uh, that's the, the biggest depth lacking in the A's system right now. So, uh, yeah. Let's, uh, let's move on from the draft, though. We'll go and talk about the Tampa Bay Rays and their recent skid, uh, getting swept by Philly and then two out of three from Atlanta before the break and then ended up in the last game there at the end of the season or end of the first half. Only two games up on Baltimore right now. The team just doesn't look to have that same vibe that they had at the beginning part of the season. Do you think this skid is something that's going to stay for Baltimore and something that we should make more of? Or is it just, you know... Lost seven out of eight, whatever it was, move on, and we'll see you in the second half.
0: I don't care about it quite yet. Uh, Philly and Atlanta, two of the best teams in the league, tough matchups for them. I I assume Tampa Bay hasn't seen teams like that from the East until now. Maybe that's a reason. Uh, But still, they got the best home record in the league by by five plus games. I I still think they're going to have the best record in the American League. I'm not scared yet.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's something that we need to make such a crazy deal about, especially with, you know, the all-star break coming up and them winning that last game. If you go into the all-star break and losers of eight in a row, then maybe things can snowball in your brain and thinking about starting to press at this point. And with the Orioles, you know, winners five in a row, only two two games back, you've got to go ahead and push up. Uh, but winning the last game is so big. And you take that momentum into the all-star break and move it into the second half, which starts off with a trip in Kansas City. Uh, so, you know, that's probably at least going to be two out of three for them. I think they're going to be just fine. Uh, you know, maybe not going to be as distant of AL AL East race that we thought it was going to be maybe a month and a half ago because of how good and consistent Toronto has been in this entire year, but Tampa should be fine. They should be one in that division. And, uh, like we said earlier, you know, a couple weeks ago, make it into the world series. Yeah. trade deadline talk you not a lot not a lot because the trade deadline is still a few few weeks away we're kind of still getting that touchy-feely part where we don't really know what's going to happen with each team so that begs the question skyler who do yeah. you think is going to be the most aggressive team at the deadline who do you think is going to play all their chips put them into the pile and go all in
0: i have a, a couple different categories here but to start it off, let's go with the the big guys, the guys who I think could go all in. The number one seed is still in play for Baltimore and Miami. I feel like both teams have pretty deep systems. So uh, you know, they could be the biggest buyers here. I, I really think obviously I'm not saying that Miami's gonna catch Atlanta necessarily, but these teams are right on schedule. They are the biggest buyers. Uh Next tier down, I'll say it, the legacy teams. It seems like every year that the Dodgers, Astros, or Yankees are in contention, they always pick up a new six-hitter and a couple of arms. So I think those guys are always in play for whoever will be available. And the stay put group, Arizona, Cincinnati, a little bit ahead of schedule. Don't fuck it up. Unless it's a prospect-for-prospect prospect type situation, I wouldn't do anything. That's yeah. my take on the All-Star break so far.
1: Yeah, Uh, as far as what I think, I don't think we're going to see some crazy play by some of the younger teams that are kind of outperforming expectations, such as Baltimore and Miami, Cincinnati, Arizona, because you got this core coming up. Maybe if you didn't have the greatest farm system, then that's a reason to go ahead and push for it maybe a bit earlier than you could. But all these teams are set up to be, you know, solid for years. And I think maybe Miami might has, a has a bit more incentive to go ahead and push for it because, you know, Philly and the Mets are going to rebound as far as teams and the Braves are going to be a team that's always there. Uh, But when you look at, you know, Cincinnati, they they got that division, not under control, but in better hands than what we've seen uh, from, from Miami, Arizona. I think they have the prospects with, you know, Jordan Lawler and guys like that still to come up that it's, you know it's okay for them even though the dodgers are are, are still great uh and baltimore we drive you not to talk about their system like they got everybody is a uh, top 100 prospect they got it you know anything that you 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 think that you don't you could have in a farm system they have it so uh i'm going with the padres is my most aggressive uh-huh. team. I obviously we've seen AJ Preller, you know, not be shy to make moves in the past. They sold off their entire farm system this year and I wouldn't be shocked if they do it all over again this year uh, and go ahead and try to get, you know, maybe another starter and definitely a bat at some point in their lineup. Uh, whether that ends up being like Brent Rooker or somebody a bit on a higher level than that, you know, who knows. But San Diego is going to be a team I think that acquires the most people And spends the most capital wise to go ahead and, and, you know, push for that spot because they are so far behind at this point. And I think they need the extra boost and and morale within their clubhouse.
0: Sure. Welcome to the second half. And before we get into the bets, we just got one thing. Just talking about that awesome home run derby from last night. I honestly had pretty low expectations. Uh, There was a video from like baseball doesn't exist. Just talking about how the new format sucks. And the cameras weren't great, but overall we had some good matchups. Uh, obviously Kyle talked about Adley Rushman's crazy round and then switching to the other side for the bonus, but Louis Bob got him, man. Luis Robert Jr., uh, just hitting the snot out of the ball in, uh, in the mm-hmm. first round. Uh, it was pretty cool to see. Um, the first matchup of the night, Randy and Rosarina taking on a Garcia. Actually, my friend Josh put a lot of money on a to win the whole thing when I had Randy. And, uh, that made me happy when. When Garcia got a little tired there and couldn't finish. But maybe the the best round we've ever seen, Julio Rodriguez of Seattle taking down Pete Alonzo. Uh, the c- narrative going into this one is, you know, Alonzo lost to him last year, but that's still kind of a, a shitty hand to be facing him again in the first round. But 41 homers, you know, he he did his homework. You know, he, he knew what he had to do to get that ball out in Seattle while conserving energy. And he he did kind of run out of energy when he lost to uh to Vlady Jr. in the semifinals. But uh still an awesome performance. Sorry, Mookie, this one wasn't for you. You know, even though he has twenty-six homers uh this season, doesn't always translate to to something like this, which is interesting. And then Vladdy Jr. got it done with twenty-five. That's all it took. It was a shortened round, but twenty-five homers to beat Randy Rosarina and uh him and his father now the only father son duo to win. Home run derbies. Pretty cool.
1: What's, uh, what's Flatty Jr.'s dad's name?
0: Ah, I forgot. <laughs> but yeah, the hall of famer, possible future hall of famer. It's just really cool stuff. And that's all I got for the second half. That's pretty much it.
1: That's the home run derby. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I just got a Twitter notification about something that yeah. I haven't seen yet on the, uh, all-star game as uh-huh. Andy Diaz steps into the plate. So I guess we'll, uh, We'll give you a little play-by-play about about what's going to happen. The 1-0 for Mitch Keller, driven to left, over Corbin Carroll's head, and gone. So Yandy Diaz strikes first for the AL on the bottom of the second inning. Home run off of Mitch Keller, one nothing there, uh, while Corbin Carroll is miked up. So uh the Seattle boy wow. gets miked up there. But let's go ahead and get into our bets from this week and last week. It was a decent week for us. You know, we went two for four, got the ones that we should get right, right. And the ones that we got wrong were the ones that we had as a bold prediction. So that kind of makes sense. Uh, Last week, though, Toronto over Chicago White Sox on Wednesday, that did happen for me uh, because I I don't think that game was postponed, but they played two on that day. Toronto on both of them. Uh, Skyler had Houston over Colorado on Wednesday. That did happen. And something I do want to mention, it feels like We've had so many of our games like be part of double headers or something like that, yeah. like where they've gone rained out and then uh-huh. played the next day, or wasn't rained out but had to be moved back because of another game. So that's kind of weird. I just feels feel like I should point that out. This week I don't have a bet. It's uh it's Tuesday. P- teams will play again until Friday. I'm scared to bet on something of momentum that we haven't seen yet on like that back to back day type feel. So uh yeah. I got no bet. For bold prediction or layup this week? Uh,
0: I don't blame you. I would not bet any of my money on these bets. But for the spirit of it, I do have two. So we'll start off with Tampa Bay over Kansas City. Uh, Like I said, I think Tampa Bay is going to have a strong second half. We got Zach Eflin on the bump here in Kansas City. Should be no problem for him. And I guess I'll get right into the... uh, Oh, you want to talk about last week? Yeah, I'll
1: talk about last week in the bold prediction. Uh, uh, I had Miami sweeping Philly over the weekend. And this one hurts, Skyler, because Miami yeah. took two out of three, and the way that they lost that one game was a home run by Christian Pache down to their final strike against the six-best reliever in the big leagues, according to me, A.J. Puck. So, uh, fortunately, yeah. that green goes to red. Uh, Skyler had Corbin Carroll over one-and-a-half total bases against the Mets on Thursday. That did not happen. He got hurt So, over uh, two for us. Uh, yeah. And uh, I guess we'll go to Skeller's bold prediction. Yeah,
0: my one bold prediction made it extra bold just because. Nolan Arenado, slow first half. I think he's going to dominate Washington the first series back because St. Louis kind of has nothing to lose before everyone starts getting traded. So uh, let's say they, they beat up on Washington in their second game back. Arenado, one and a half total bases over against Washington. All
1: right, that's going to do it for episode 148. Next week, one forty nine, man, two away yeah. from one fifty. Uh, so let's see the exact date of that. That'll be on Ooh, next week. We actually, uh, we'll see because I'll be working, yeah. so Ooh. maybe we we might move it around. We'll see, but uh, okay, yeah, these next two episodes should be good. Getting closer to football season, obviously trade deadline talks coming the up there will, too. So uh, we'll be getting those over the next few weeks. So look forward to that. Uh, Top 10 starting pitchers, stuff like that, will be in there as well, too. So uh, we'll see you all next week, next Tuesday.
0: Let's go American League. We'll see you guys next week.
1: Yep, later.